2: never quit team never quit team
4: never quit radio
5: do you ever think about quitting
4: it's the combat
5: of life hammering the snot out of you well stand by dig in deep and get ready to
4: get fired up with us welcome to the team never quit podcast the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the Rock, negative you fire insurgency. Me up, man. In their you man. You fire me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. Do you know what gets me fired up every single morning, Marcus? Do you know what gets me fired up every single afternoon? Of all the different things, of all the different concepts, ideas, materials, pharmaceuticals, Anything out there? <laughs> what do you think gets me fired up on a regular basis?
5: God's blessing that He gave you life.
4: Oh, God bless you! I love. That's why I love you, dude. You know that's the real reason. Did you say
5: yourself right up for that? I, one? Was, gonna, I, was, I like, was gonna. I was gonna make a the joke like, because of our guest.
4: I know you were. I know. That's why I did it. I appreciate that because that is what gets me fired up every day. Wizard, what do you think? What were you gonna say?
6: I was busy looking at some interesting statistics on caffeine and coffee.
4: Well, that's great. Thank you. Well, give us some statistics about coffee, will you?
6: Well, caffeine and caffeine. Let's see. 68 million Americans drink three cups of coffee every single day. Weakness. That's weakness. We're going to refine that statistic. 30 million Americans drink five or more cups of coffee every single day. And over 21 million Americans drink six or more cups of coffee every day. 54% of Americans over the age of 18 consume caffeine on a regular basis.
4: Marcus, where are you falling in on that scale, bud? Because I don't ever see you come to the into the studio with a cup of big old fat cup of coffee. Yeah, no, I, I rotate it, I, and I didn't drink it in college
5: or in in the Navy. You kidding me? I know it's crazy.
4: you didn't drink coffee, and I got mm. a great coffee story in the Navy. Ready? So there I am in 18 Delta, right, and we're at we're at Fort Bragg, and we do our first in the field exercise for I don't know. We weren't even out there that long, and and uh, we go out there and. You know, we're just novices on how to how to make a morning meal, use your... You know, we didn't know what the Ranger cookbook was. We didn't know squat. All we knew was Laguna and ha- eating that crap, right? Mm-hmm. And so we go out there and this Native American uh, Ranger comes out, and we I just, like, cool dude, really cool. But he starts, he whips up this badass breakfast with his MRE. You know, he says, here, let me take some of that from you and take some of that from you. Next thing you know, he has this gourmet (laughs) meal. He's like, you want some, right? And I'm like, ah, bless it, that's awesome. And then I go, well, you know, you got something in mind for your coffee, too? What do you do to your coffee, dude? And he goes, oh, that's simple. He puts his water cup on the little... Fire that we do. The old canteen, you know, the silver one, the mm-hmm. old canteen cup. Puts mm-hmm. that on there for like a minute. Then he picks it up, puts his finger, his nasty ass, dirty, dip laden, crusted finger, mm-hmm. sticks it in there for temperature gates, pulls out, it's like good. Then he pulls out of his MRE, rips out the Folgers blend. Remember the old Folgers yeah, blend packet? Absolutely. Uh, opens that sucker up, tilts his head back dumps it full mouth of dry Folgers blend drinks his cock and goes like this ah that's how we drink coffee in the rangers so (laughs) you think have you ever done that back when i used to dip
6: i would mix those Folgers packets yeah with dip little little caffeine with the nicotine oh i like that caffeine with the nicotine
4: Caffeine so you would dip that. You wouldn't drink it, you'd dip it. Right? I would dip that, yeah. What about you, Mark? You uh, so wait, go back to this phenomenon that you're talking about. Never in the teams, you didn't drink coffee. Yeah, I don't know why.
5: Tried a couple of times through the well, we were out in the field, MREs, the, yeah. The guys would have that, but I did what um you were just talking about. Just throw the coffee back and just squirt and put it down. Yeah, put it down. but
6: maybe you're not familiar with some of the benefits of caffeine and coffee. Would you like to know another interesting statistic? Sure. In low doses, (laughs) caffeine has been shown to improve one's cognitive functions, increasing alertness. However, overdoses in caffeine can cause manic episodes, panic attacks, hallucinations, delusions, disorientation, and a lowering of one's inhibitions.
4: Holy shit, I just thought I had post-traumatic stress. It's because I drink too much coffee. Radioactive
6: caffeine.
5: (laughs) Well, Hmm. I think they did a study a while back at Harvard, guys who drank six or eight cups of coffee more than uh, their you know, their entire life or whatever were less likely to suffer from prostate cancer. No shit, right? Mm. How are you going to sit down if you're drinking nine, ten cups of coffee, you up moving all the time? <laughs> 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 I didn't go to Harvard and I didn't get a bunch of money to do that study, but I could figure that one out. <laughs>
6: <laughs> Did you know that, that over 350 million gallons of energy drinks are sold every year? A lot. How much caffeine is fatal? Anybody know? Anybody know? Doo- yeah, yeah. It's like four hundred milligrams. Nice, Dave. Actually, actually,
4: actually, five grams. Yeah, yeah. It, it puts you down in the dirt, dead. That's why all those crazy kids out there that are slamming those energy drinks before they go out and party are dying because they're they don't get that. They well, they don't, know, first sure, what you don't
5: need that energy. You don't need to be drinking cups of coffee at that age, anyways.
4: Right? right so you, you get,
5: so get to college and you're having to go without sleep that's yeah. you, you, your body has so much energy at, at that capacity anyways you need to stay up for a day. that's why we go through training at a young Amen. age right and, um you drink the cognitive the coffee to kind of give you the you think is a cognitive function but we know the more tired you get that doesn't matter you're just a wide awake drunk or or a wide awake uh totally <clears throat> intoxicated on caffeine.
4: For a dude that doesn't know that much, doesn't drink coffee, you sure know a lot about coffee, brother. I'm well, I know what it does. I know
5: what it does to my guys. I uh, learn all that Garage stuff. And I, we, we were talking about one of my 18 Delta instructors. He, he was pointing out one of the instructors. I think, cause I said, "Man, he's got a c- cup of coffee in his hand every single day." And so he stopped the class and he, just, he gave the whole thing. It was you can, if you overdo it, your your body has an amazing mechanism. You learn. Bastard. And, and what it does and what it doesn't do. He said we were out in the field and the guy didn't have access to coffee, his hands were shaking so bad he was combat ineffective. And <laughs> he got at, the DTs from yeah, lack a of DT, coffee? Yeah, exactly. The headaches yeah. and everything that goes along with it. And the the, the body and, and what an amazing mechanism it is. And this is kind of what happens with drugs, where you get so totally. used to the what's on when you're Addition. coming off coming off of it, your body's like, Hey, I'm ready for my dose, right? On well, top of which, it can, yeah. it can re it can manipulate your pain sensors and make you think you're in pain. 100%. That's it, the that's How awesome is that? Your body can actually mimic the pain that it was in before you got on it because like hey wait a minute. I want my pills. Before I was taking these pills, I was in this pain and this is what gave me the pills. So I'll just go ahead and tell the body
4: That this is what's happened. That's that neuroplasticity of addiction. Exactly, man. It's It's like Dopamine, all that. Oh, it's awesome.
5: The body can literally make you do something.
4: Well, when you start breaking down the the, the, the neuropathology of of how dopamine works and how all those addictions work with your brain, it's one of the coolest things in the world. And that's why you see when you really understand that and you see somebody in the throes of addiction, Mm. man, you should have... Some sympathy for them because right. their brain has been rewired and is producing chemicals in a way that is literally destroying how they think and act and feel.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can retrain your body when you get totally. past it, and that's that's kind of that, that cognitive part that you realize that that's what's going on. In the same way with coffee, so you, you can. You drink one cup, it doesn't work. You got to go to two cups and and, and that's your body saying, all right, well, this is as far as we can take this with this coffee deal. So when you back off of it and they say, you know, you take a break on it and when you hit it, drink it again, it gives you, you you feel that boost coming back up. That's why I rotate my um, energy drinks. Like I'll drink coffee at Exos for, what is it? Two months at the least. And then, so it always gives me the kick when I go down there because I'm in physical therapy. So I use all of that. And then when I get back out, it's, I'll switch to the, the spark or then it's just water Summertime, just outside working, Right. Use the sun for energy.
4: Well, I'll tell you what, man. What's interesting and what I think is driving this, in fact, I know what's driving this. Is Why that, are we
6: talking about coffee, Dave?
4: Well, because we got <laughs> my main man, Evan Haffer, from Black Rifle Coffee coming on. And mm. I'll tell you what, this cat, I got, first off, man, you guys, this is one of my favorite people in the whole world. I love this guy. I met him when I was working for the agency on my first trip over there, and he's phenomenal. He's this wonderful vetrapreneur He started a couple businesses, and this is the one that's just taken off. He's killing it at Black Rifle Coffee with Matt Best, one of our very first guests we had on. And Marcus, you also know all these you know Evan from doing the Range fifteen movie. Yep. And Evan has one of the funniest scenes in the movie <laughs> that involves uh uh his his private parts and a zombie midget or a small <laughs> person. But more than that, I love his intelligence and how he approaches things. So why don't you, you know, talk a little bit about you got Evan's background on there for me, bud? Yeah,
6: yeah, sure. It? But um Before we get into the details of Evan's backstory, we need to put out a quick announcement from NHTSA, or the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration. Don't kid yourself. There's no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. I'm not going very far. I'm in a rush. I'm too uncomfortable. Sometimes I just forget. If you've used any of these excuses, or others, you're putting yourself at risk of injury or death. In 2017, more than 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes. That's 51% of people killed in motor vehicle crashes that were not wearing seatbelts. No matter what kind of vehicle you drive, wearing your seatbelt is the best defense in a crash. Even if you sit in the back seat, you still need to buckle up. That goes for when you ride in taxis and use ride-sharing services, too. Cops are on the lookout and are riding tickets, so why take the risk? In 2017 alone, seatbelts saved nearly 15,000 lives. So do the smart thing and buckle up every trip, day or night. Click it or tick it. Paid for by NHTSA. Okay, getting back to Evan. He's been in the Army in either reserve or active duty capacity since 2000. And like you said, he did some work with contracting uh, along the line there. But Black Rifle Coffee is really the biggest, you know, entrepreneurship is going to be the topic of this show. And that's the big, uh, interesting point. We're going to Hopefully, depending on what his Never Quit story is, get into some of that with him. But uh, Black Rifle Coffee is completely veteran-owned. It's a small batch coffee roasting company. I love this quote here. They want to emancipate fellow conservative Americans from corporate coffee.
4: <laughs> <laughs> where, where was the I do the fact that they, they went after Starbucks and they want to out-hire veterans uh, from Starbucks, which isn't going to be hard, but
6: yeah that's right in, in response to start there was some issue Starbucks had said they want to try to hire 10,000 migrants and well Evan took the opportunity to uh, say he'd like to hire 10,000 veterans. veterans which a very which is a very uh, ambitious goal they you wait' they've and only see been around you since, I, I'm not I'm not doubting him but at that point I believe that the company was about two years old they've been growing like gangbusters um, which gets into, they're looking to hopefully open, from what it says here, three to 500 franchises worldwide, which would obviously help them fulfill that goal. Um, Another quote, I think, which is telling here and very interesting. And if you watch their videos, which they seem to be very interested in the production of their uh, advertisement videos on YouTube, because they're quite elaborate and pretty damn funny, actually.
4: Pretty damn funny. I piss my pants every time I watch those things, dude. So he says, here's a quote, we take this just as seriously as the artisans
6: do, but we're not taking ourselves that seriously. You're not going to walk into our place and see a guy who looks like he should be working on a bicycle in 1846.
5: <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. You look, watch it. You, know you have a huge coffee conglomerate the empire can raise a CIA coffee conglomerate. It's actually, a, what is it? It's the... It's a tough man's coffee house, right? Is that you're talking about? Like a a, a a coffee dive bar. (laughs) uh, All the truckers and anybody doesn't want to get. First responders, cops, cops, firefighters, man.
6: We
4: go to the coffee house. Yeah,
5: hell yeah! Last time I was in there, I got tooth knocked out.
4: the first coffee house in history where you go in and you can get in a fight. There's pool tables in there. Oh, God bless it. They're not going to call it a coffee house. They're going to call it a coffee bar, right? A coffee bar, right? For (laughs) sure. And I bet eventually... I bet I, you guarantee, I bet eventually you'll buy booze and coffee at the yeah, same well, place. Coffee in the morning, the, all those old coffee pictures. Here's <laughs> your nice How go many coffee, hilarious. The, have a nice cup of shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh oh, you had to bring that out. That was like my go to, man, in the teams. Oh. And uh, my uh, chief would say that to <clears throat> me like every day, dude. Uh, he Have a cup of shut the, you know. <laughs> that's, I,
5: that's our Steve Daddy's generation. Totally. Dude, I've heard that
4: all, all the, time.
5: the time, man. Anytime the trial. Anytime I open my mouth.
6: Yeah, you're a cop. Yeah, then shut the slide, <laughs>
4: slide. right over,
6: do you? That. I would like to speak to you for a second.
4: <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I love it, oh, man. man. Well, I tell you what, man. I I think you know not only is Evan going to talk about this w- amazing company that he's built, but you're also going to learn a lot about his focus, his mission statement, man. I just I'm telling you to have him come on and share with us about these topics and the challenge never quits story. Man, this is gonna be epic. Even though he's a green beret, it's still absolutely gonna be epic. What do you say we bring him on, huh, Marcus? Oh yeah. You oh, ready?
5: Yeah, absolutely.
4: Hey man. me. <laughs>
5: <Yeah. laughs>
4: Marcus, do you know how long I have been waiting to bring this cat on? Since the first interview, since the first time we started thinking about doing this show, I was like, I gotta get him on because you know why? Well, you can't because- ask
5: me the question and answer it. That's yeah, right.
6: true. You I, know, often he does that. A lot. <laughs> it's frequent.
5: Well, but but I my battery's not I'm rolling glad you yet. Glad called I him out that. on it friendly.
4: I'm telling you, it's been a long time because I actually brought on on my old show, which was awesome. But he had to come. Why bring it up, old shit? Is it <laughs> is it unload on, on Rut Day? Did I miss that fucking memo or what's going on? But I know it happens, but usually not this early in the show. <laughs> We've so, been up a while. We've been going. Remember, yeah, it was a great morning. It was a great morning. All right, so let me just. I'm not going to ask a question. I'm just going to tell you why I'm fired up. Because my first gig with the agency, my first time, I land in Kabul, right? I get off the plane, middle of the night. I walk in, and there's Evan smiling, middle of the night. And he looks at me, he goes, welcome to shithole, right? (laughs) (laughs) Next thing you know, we sat down. He gave us this Embry for like an hour where I was cracking up, rolling... We lived with him for five days before me and my buddy Todd went out to where we went to. And, bro, it was the funniest five days of my life. I was like, you know what? This ain't going to be so bad. But what I love most about him is that he had a plan. Evan is the man with the plan, dude.
5: It's always good to have one guy like that around.
4: Right? Right? When the rest of us are <laughs> dropping the ball constantly, we got no idea what's happening. We just want to go big, right? Right? There's always gotta be yep. someone. I still who just has to this tell it.
5: people I'm like, "Hey, if you walk into a room full of chaos, I, I'm not the voice of reason." I <laughs> talking about, uh, we do have those guys, but then we have the ones not that many. aren't those guys, right? So, exactly.
4: Let's. What do you think? I we gotta get them on. Let's bring them on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Mr. Evan Haffer. what's up, brother?
7: Man, I can't, uh, I can't thank you enough for that intro. Fuck, dude, that's like I'm more fired up now than I was before we got to this interview. Dude, <laughs> are you, you? It's like you're a motivational speaker. You should do that for a living. <laughs> that's
4: a good idea. You should
7: look <laughs> that were a living
5: like you just made me motivated <laughs> about myself in a way that i've never been able to do in 42 years <laughs> on this planet
6: tingling in all kinds of special places I, I, I don't know
7: i know that i'm like i need to do something i gotta do something you're yeah, to yeah, be I productive gotta do today <laughs> right?
5: <You're> the best <laughs> part about it,
7: it, it, it,
6: it is the
5: way you gotta i mean just truly appreciate and love the lives that we've been blessed with because we're at that point to where he goes so we had this gig with the agency, right, and that was dropped in. But the way it flew off the microphone, most of the time, that's all right. I do this job with. The <laughs> but the way, the way, the way, way dramatic, we carry yeah. ourselves in, in in that kind of light, and the way how it's, it's like a good time. Dude, it's, I it's threw
4: like, that shit out a long time yeah, ago, bro. Like, I, I, I ain't it's doing awesome. that, man. No way, no way. Well, brother, how are you? How you been? What's going on? Uh, no, that's all interview stuff, right, wizard? We should that's wait right. for. You. All right, all right. Here, here's what we got to do, bro. We got to get warmed up. We got to limber up a Warm little up. bit. We're going to We're going to get your brain, we're going we're going to stretch out those uh that neuroplasticity a little bit, and we're going to do it with the mad minute. Now, yeah. the mad minute as as we typically used to do it when when we worked for, you know, the the the, the company was a little different, but the way we do it, Evan, this has got panache. It's got style, and it's a—it's got class. It's got class, all right. Because we're a classy organization over here, all we're right. A classy fucker. <laughs> all right, all right. Are you ready, brother? I'm ready, man. All right, Marcus, fire away. Favorite superhero.
7: You know the funny thing is, I didn't have superheroes when I was a kid. I thought like Superman was kind of weird and kind of like he was wearing tights and a cape and just was like not into <laughs> he it. He does do that. Uh, same thing with Batman. I was like, what, what the, what the fuck is wrong with this dude? He fell down a cave and now he's like out beating people up. Like I just couldn't really make the 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 intellectual like connection between those. Um, so my my greatest my superhero was actually like people in my family that I fucking loved that I really respected. And I've kind of always been that guy that i have not really been into science fiction or things like that ever. And uh, my grandpa was—he was just a bad motherfucker. He was—he uh, uh, he flew B-24 Liberators in World War II. Wow, he flew a ton of missions. And you know, I, I just remember like coming through boxes of like pictures with all his airplanes just shot to shit. And he never talked about the war. He had a Silver Star. It was on his keychain to his Toyota truck. Um
5: Wow. What a damn good um
4: great idea. <laughs>
7: right. Every time you put the king in the ignition, bullet down range, right? Oh totally. He, he was just he was just a bad he was just a bad motherfucker, man. He was like five foot five, like you know, he was he was like one of the funniest men you could ever be around. And uh you know he was he was my he was my superhero, man. I just wanted to be like that guy. He was he was funny as shit. Never talked about the war. Like just got up every day, did his job. He had like twelve jobs. uh He was like awesome. the mayor. He was like the mayor of his town. He was the grave digger. He was the water and <laughs> sewer guy. He was a judge for a while. Like he ca- he had like twelve jobs. He did like TV repair.
5: <laughs> they are man. That's uh, awesome.
7: There's not too many of them guys left.
5: No, there they're, are. They're they're hard, man. Uh, RV ninety used to got cuts his grass, chops firewood. Yeah, I mean they're just too too hard to die. You know that kind of deal.
4: And those are really the gr- the true superheroes. Uh, of yeah, our that's what we figure
5: out when we join up. Totally. Tell you the truth, it's funny that you say that because the there was a while back we were all sitting around and just think about it. Like if we were on an op, we had to go into the city and we were all jocked up and some dude walked up dressed up in a Batman costume. <laughs> if like, you didn't know he was Batman, I think this just really yeah. walked up dressed like that. Like, what in the hell is this?
6: <laughs> Don't
5: worry, I'm here. Like, Did you lose your mind?
7: With I that? know, <laughs> hey, like, I know. you? <laughs> Jesus Christ, what are you doing? <laughs> damn, dude, those don't even have pockets. Sir. Don't jump off that back. <laughs>
4: <laughs> they don't even have pockets. Yeah. Oh god. No. You gotta that get is. some
5: cargo pockets. Yeah, son. that is a badass ride you got, oh, but
4: god. damn, bro.
5: <sighs> Yeah, <laughs> but that thing is
4: not going to be good like in Afghanistan, man. You can't drive the Batmobile out. The Tumblr? It was designed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. Yeah, the Oh, Tembler. yeah. I thought you meant
7: the There's other. no place to put your Kick 13, dude. You got to. you a bullshit. Drop crypto, no. Batman. You better fucking have a God, dude, that- plan.
5: Freaking kick thirteen! Oh. What was that tech? 10? What was the Mac? You had to load uh, the, the, the crazy kick. Crazy ten. Crazy ten. The CYZ ten, dude. <laughs> you had to take the kick into the CYZ ten and reload backwards. <laughs> oh my god! You, you mean oh, to tell like me a, this is as high speed yeah. as it gets? Yeah. 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 It looked
7: uh, like um like a, a kids gaming fucking company made something that you're supposed to take to
4: war, and it was like <laughs> what in the hell is this thing? It's <laughs> awesome. All right, wizard, fire away.
6: All right, if you were forced to tattoo something on your forehead, but you were given the choice of what to put there, what would it be?
4: Uh, question mark. Nice, bro. Nice. <laughs> That's a great answer, dude. You know what Dana White said? Dana White said, well, right. he said, well, hell, man, if I got to go tattoo my forehead, it might as well go bit. He said, I'm going to tattoo fuck off. Or what well, was <laughs> it? Just fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> All right, here you go. If you could go back in history and sit down and get hammered on lead slingers whiskey with anybody in history for a night, who would it be?
7: Oh, uh, you know, the funny thing is it's uh, it, it's a guy that's still alive. It's um HW Bush.
2: Really? That's
7: who I, would, who I would sit down with and get fucking tanked with. I think he's, I think he's probably one of the most, he is probably the most underrated president in history. I think he was probably one of the most influential men in modern American history. And I think that there's probably a lot more to that guy that people really understand. Uh, He's Mm -hmm. the first director of the CIA after they basically went post uh, Frank church hearings, which they had an intelligence oversight committee. Um, And he just has a, a depth of knowledge in both kind of, you know, his background in war, his background in business, his background in politics. Uh, I would just want to pick that dude's brain until the, the the sun came up, to be honest with you. That's that's who I that's who
4: I'd say. You know, that's what I love about him, man. You're always going to learn something. He's got a truckload of history knowledge in him that just blows you away, brother. I, I actually kind of had that
5: same thought. I got I was in a room with him one time by ourselves. We got a chance to hang out at the library. We go up and see him sometimes when he's up there. He did say HW, yeah, yeah, Yeah. and uh, awesome guy, and you're right, man. Every if you back up his past and look at everything that he did and what he qualified for and what he ran, it it was amazing. And uh, I remember sitting there, I was like, Sir, you can ask me anything you want, and I'll tell you. Just it, you know, I can keep a secret. I know you know something, just give me something. (laughs) I swear, I swear. Come on, was it Roswell? I "I know you know, sir. Like, he You're said, You're a
4: good
6: "You ain't boy. getting
5: shit. You're
4: a good boy. <laughs> <laughs> You're
7: a good boy. All right, send <laughs> it, Marcus. First
2: car, uh, nineteen sixty-three uh, Chevy
7: Impala, two or and, four. Uh, 2 two-door, like super clean, super clean car. Uh, my dad basically was like, "Hey, I'm going to buy you a, a car that you have to work on because you don't know anything about mechanics." What so, White. White, white. white. White on white? It was a uh, white with red interior. It had three on the tree. So <laughs> three on the tree. You know, awesome. Not-
4: dude, <laughs> wait. How, is your dad just as cool as your grandfather or what, bro? I,
7: he was just a guy that was like, you know, he's a hardworking dude. He's a logger. And uh, he just felt like the best way to learn how to work on something was to give me something that I had to work on. So I spent... Mm. Man, almost every every, it seemed like every day I was working on that thing. Whether it was like you know carburetor adjustments or fucking changing plugs or doing something, like it was like I had to work on that thing actually to get to school. So there was like no (laughs) or butts around it. Like I had to. That's genius. Back in the day, when
5: my granddad would say, "Like your car is your woman. You treat her. You got to got to pay attention to her and talk to her and work with her every day." That's why that that really came from you don't really hear that much anymore yeah. man but it's, that's why and you're right we have those old cars here too man every day something uh, you gotta great. pay attention to them
4: that's epic
6: wizard fire if you could raise one person from the dead and bring them back to walk in the modern world who would it be why
7: wow one person to walk in the modern world uh, george washington i think he would be a constant reminder as far as where the country is today and where it started and uh, with the basically pulling the country back in on Azimuth. Mm, what do you think he would say? I, I think he would say that uh, the government has lost oversight or, or its direction specifically related to who they work for.
4: Mm-hmm. All right. And, uh, and all right. People, right. This sets up my question, what I was debating asked. And it's the same question that I we asked Matt when Matt because Matt was like our second guest ever on the show. Right. Is if you could be president for a day what would you do what would you be your executive order <laughs> oh man or, or just what would you do because he he said he said basically he would create an international incident by sleeping with Putin's wife mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's right <laughs>
7: that's that, that is pretty good I I think from from uh, You know, from my perspective, like you'd have to start somewhere and, uh, you know, there I think you have to have more uh, more emphasis on domestic policy. I mean, granted, there's a lot of shit going on uh, outside of the country. Um, I think we kind of lost oversight as far as like what 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 does the definition of winning a war mean? Uh, doesn't mean long, sustainable, low-intensity conflict that continues to fucking drag us into bullshit for decades on end. It actually means just going and fucking stomping mud holes in people and then fucking (laughs) bringing dudes back. Uh, (laughs) uh, And, you know, I think that saves the government time, money, energy, and a bunch of other things. So from my perspective, it would be let's take the fucking gloves off, let's get real, and let's get our fucking dudes home.
4: Amen. God, preach it, brother. All right. Man, you're on a roll this morning. Did you have a cup of Black Rifle coffee this morning or what? I had like three cups
7: of coffee out of my, my Black Rifle Chemex. It's uh, <laughs> funny. I'm drinking out of another, um, another veteran-owned coffee company's mug, which is Compass Coffee. But uh, I got it out in D.C. The dude's a former uh, re- former Marine that I <laughs> coffee from. He's a good dude.
4: We got to support those Marines. Yeah, They're struggling all part of with you. kit now. Yeah, right? Right. All right,
5: Marcus, last question. Go. All right, if you woke up as John McClane, which diehard would you want to play out <laughs> in real Number life? Number one, bro. Yeah, right? I Me. Mean, I'm a Nakatomi Plaza <laughs> myself.
6: <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Nakatomi guy,
5: too.
4: I'm a Nakatomi Plaza guy.
6: Ho, ho, oh. ho, Now man. I have a machine gun. <laughs>
4: oh yippee ki motherfucker yeah, yippee-ki-yay you know, it, it's it's the airport christmas in the snow every day.
7: you know that's what i would say it's christmas every day, christmas it's every day. day. <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs> all right well evan that was outstanding that had to have been one of the best back and forth of, of highly intelligent answers and hilarious answers we've ever had for the mad minute thank you very much sir but the reason why our, our listeners come here is because they're out there. They're they're in the combat of life right now. They're getting hammered. They're getting crushed. That negative insurgency is pummeling them down, bro. And they're they're struggling. They don't they don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. And fortunately, we've been incredibly blessed to be able to start this show so they can come here to 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 hear guests such as yourself. Share incredible, amazing, never quit stories that help ignite them down that path to salvation. So my brother, my dear old friend, man, would you please share with our listener your greatest never quit story or stories?
7: You know, I, it's funny because when he, when we talked about that earlier and I look back, I. Uh, it's, quitting is never really an, an option or a psychological option, right? So I, I've never really had that psychological option in my mind to say it's okay to quit here. Um, so even if you're going through, like, you know, special forces assessment selection or the qualification course and then post that, like, you just don't have the option. And if you take that option, you know, and you shove it in the fucking toilet and flush it down, <laughs> then you never really embrace that in any circumstance and i haven't run into one i'm sure that you guys have run into you know difficult situations in your life and and obviously like everybody has but i i try when that thing starts to boil to the surface what i've tried really hard to do is just fucking flush it down the toilet if it starts to come back up i plunge the toilet and get it back down and uh you know, I, I can remember every difficult situation that I've been in in my life where in just general circumstances, whether it's like on mile 23 with, you know, 150 pounds of fucking shit on your back in the middle of the forest after, you know, no sleep for three days, you know, what, what keeps you putting one foot in front of the other? And, uh, you know, from my perspective, you know, fear of failure and in, in the circumstance of being able to beat look myself in the mirror every morning and go, hey, am I going to be proud of what I accomplished? And have I put literally every last ounce of effort into it? Uh, to the point of which, you know, there's the only quit is the fact that you're physically, your body is not physically capable of moving another step or another inch or crawling another fucking centimeter. And if it's just not an option, you know, it, it's a lot easier for you to not – Think about it, Uh, and whether it was in war with you know my special forces ODA uh, or post service, um, you know in circumstances where things are fucking really going pear shaped. uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, and honestly, I can tell you, like I I I, I've been in a couple pear shaped situations, and most of that was outside of special forces, Uh, you know, Baghdad in oh five. 06. um i was in a very very precarious situation and just uh in the southern the southern portion of baghdad in a thin-skinned vehicle with a lot of fucking rounds flying and not enough fucking not enough armor in any fucking section of your vehicle and there's just <laughs> nothing there so problem solving becomes fucking paramount in that situation <laughs> <laughs> Make I just need decision. to get the fuck out of here. And, you know, I, I found myself driving a lot in those circumstances. So I was the guy fucking driving and not shooting, uh, trying to get the fuck out. And I think, uh, you know, when you're outnumbered and outgunned and the only thing you can do is retreat, that's a shitty, shitty psychological fucking position to be in, uh, in the, in the army, I never had that situation, right? We were always right. out, always had superior firepower we always kind of came in with the authority then when post-service when you're only like one or two guys and this wasn't even at the agency it was with um uh, some australian sas guys in baghdad and it was like the dudes were so fucking professional guys. so tight that they inspired you and they also allowed the psychological effect of the situation to to take over and say we're going to get the fuck out of here. You know, don't worry. Basically
4: Uh, (laughs) they are cool as cucumbers, aren't they, man?
7: They are fucking cool as cucumbers. And I think that the one thing that I learned was when things, when things go pear shaped and when it doesn't feel like you've got an answer, calm down and look for the right answer. And even if it's the fucking wrong one, at least you start making decisions and moving. Right. Um, and my i think you know towards the tail end of my to, towards the tail end of my profession I was in Mosul and I was being pursued through the town of Mosul for probably 8 miles by the Iraqi army it was just me and another guy in a car being shot at for the the entire duration trying to ring somebody up on the phone I think we had a string of about 30 vehicles uh behind of us behind us and we're in a low vis vehicle you know how that's like when nobody knows who the fuck you are, uh, nobody cares, and it just looks like the Iraqi army's doing their job at that point, right? Yep. So, banging through alleys, trying to ring somebody on a 152, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, complex problem solving, and being able to decrease the psychological effect of the situation is quite literally the only thing I think that kept me alive in that in that circumstance was just being able to think. And navigate and communicate all at the same time in fractions of a second um and you know I, the kiowas thank god they could find us but thank god we could fucking convey where we were it made it easier when you got 30 gun trucks behind you right
4: uh, <laughs> follow the long string of
7: your
5: tail's huge
7: yeah my tail's huge and thank god the Iraqis couldn't shoot uh very well and thank god that you know the driver could keep a fucking cool head and you know there's like just a lot of different moments throughout that situation I was a bridge one basically F-U-C-T'd you know like they had us fucking cornered and and we were pulling into bridge basically as most southern bridge into uh Mosul before you go into Diamondback and uh we knew that if we didn't have We didn't have Kiowa support at that point, like we were we were a burning fucking fire at basically at that bridge. Kiowas came down, put the skids right on top of the fucking the car. And I pointed at the and we pulled in basically and synced it at the same time and uh, and uh, pointed at the fucking Iraqi in front of me. And I just did this like I'm going to fucking kill you (laughs) at this point. And it's amazing how uh, gunships will actually part the waters and, and uh, decrease the <laughs> decrease the stress of that situation. Uh, but I, and I can say that, you know, that 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 from my pucker factor in the sense of being able to constantly remind myself based on the experiences that I had had at that point that we got to just calm down and we got to think and we got to find the answer. There is an answer here. Like there is a fucking answer. And I kept looking for one and uh that's it's quite possibly for me that the never quit is always finding the answer and when you feel like you don't have the answer well keep fucking digging man because <laughs> it's probably there
4: <laughs> i love that dude and, uh, and what
7: no it makes per-
5: perfect sense man i had a chief and he would always say that too. And we were saying, you know, don't run to your death. You right. actually have a lot more time than, than you think. And when something bad happens and it starts to snowball, when you take that step back, take a deep breath, and let it, you want to let it play out a little bit. But yeah. much he would always say, he's like, man, you got, th- how much time we got? I was like, got the rest of your life. <laughs> that's awesome, <laughs> that's dude. A, uh, that's awesome. You, I mean, the best way to handle an, an overwhelming moment is to move. I mean, that's just yeah. it. I mean, it's, your natural reaction to if anything happens, even if you're getting pinned down is to either go down, ultimately crawling into the fetal position or, you know, you're moving and that's, and then those of us who have been trained in those situations and you know how it's kind of, kind of how to play out in the beginning, you move, right? You get off the X and.
4: Well, I, I, and this goes back to when people listening to this show right now, they're going, Holy cow. I can't even imagine what you guys have been through, but how how do you get to the space, Evan? How do our listeners get to the space where they can make those decisions? What do they need to do to embark on the journey to be able to make clear, solid decisions under stress? What are the, what what process can they get there without having to go to through selection or buds or where whatever?
7: Um, uh, you know, I always looked for opportunities to to put myself in those environments where you, you, I, I firmly believe it's something that you have to train into your psychology. You're not actually born into it. And the, the military will put you in uh, several circumstances, but ultimately you have to put yourself in a wide variety of stressful situations. And then from there you have to one adapt to that stress, right? Be able to, to control it. And then two, Figure out ways that you can think under, like basically y- y- the psychological overload. So right. controlling psychological overload and then being able to to think, you got to put yourself in those situations. I was a, um, still am. I do a lot of whitewater like kayaking and rafting. I used to do a lot of like climbing. Um, you know, now I'm doing more hunting. I'm doing more things that are are kind of outdoor driven. But those are circumstances that you can put yourself in that it, you have to think and ultimately you're trying to control chaos. And that's one thing I really love about rivers. Rivers are not one of those things that you can control. It controls you. So you have to go, you actually have to use the current and read the water the best that you can. But at a certain point you kind of, you have to relinquish control to the river <laughs> yeah. and, uh, it's funny my one of my partners he's got a saying it's it's through through the river you'll find virtue and not to be a not to be a hippie but uh that's kind of one of the biggest things that i've learned over the course of my last 20 years on this planet is that for me finding those places of center being able to control your environment put yourself constantly in those situations where you're making decisions under stress and then the more reps you get the better you're going to get. But mm-hmm. you can't be afraid to fail, right?
4: Amen. Failure
7: is basically something that's internally defined. And if you listen to a bunch of bullshit from a wide variety of people, whether it's on you know social media or people that don't give a shit about, about you. Motivational you know, my, speakers. Yeah. My, that- <laughs> Yeah, You know, like I, I lump people into three categories. They're either positive, they're zero or they're negative. And my life is basically about chopping away the zeros and the negatives and ultimately in, increasing the pool of positives uh, that you have in and around you. And uh, there are some people I say this all the time. You can't change their genetics. Uh, you, you know, you can't <laughs> change their genetics, man. Uh, it is who they are. And Um, you know if you invest time in either mentorship and management and leadership and all those things they still have to start with the basic premise of being good people and if you're constantly putting yourself or in and around people that increase the bar increase the positive effect you have no choice but to be better yourself like it's just there's no choice
4: it's it's funny that you reference the river as a as a as a point that helps you understand the components of of you, right, and and it's this this force that's against you. And it's funny that you bring that up because our buddy Brad Christian from the Cipher Brief yeah. talks about yeah. talks about that there's no closer place than being in a kayak in a class five to combat that exists for civilians out there. So what I'm hearing is. Other than the fact that you are a hippie, you know, wearing camouflage. But <laughs> I, I hear you grew up in an environment that before even the military came into your man, before you even wanted to go SF or anything, you were in an environment that was teaching you those lessons. That was the the natural chaos, you know, just beneath the the surface beauty of of the outdoors was teaching you and forging you those with within you, those ability to make those decisions, to process stress, to, to those, they were the, the God given stress inoculators that you use to then catapult you into the next level. Can you describe a little bit about growing up in that environment and what that was like? And then what got you into SF?
7: Yeah. So I mean, I grew up in a really small mountain town in Northern, Northern Iowa. My dad was a, he was a logger, like a no shit, like logger, not, not a guy, that, like, <laughs> you know, like a no shit logger. Like he'd come home at night, you know, he, he had sawdust on his, on his hearts and, you know, big waffle stomping boots and a, and a lunch pail. And he spent the majority of his adult life earning a living in the woods. So we not only, my family not only earned their living in the woods, but we recreated in the in the woods as well. So like it wasn't it, it all about life and our life didn't really, it, it didn't really exist without the wilderness. It, it didn't, it, it just, whether you're hunting, whether you're fishing, whether you're working, whether you're making wood to warm your, your house in the wintertime, uh, you had to deal with the elements and you had to either enjoy them, (laughs) you know, you had to either go with them and enjoy them or, you know, there wasn't really an option to like stay home and, and and be a a homebody kid. Right. And my, (laughs) I'm going to hang out here.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be on the game boy. (laughs) Uh, My
7: my grandpa, um, he and my, my dad, my uncles, everybody, they shot muzzleloaders at what's called black powder rendezvous. So, You know, we'd go out in the woods in the summertime and get together, you know, with a bunch of friends and family, dress up in, like, buckskins and teepees, you know, camping out in teepees, living like we were in the 1800s, shooting steel out of muzzleloaders, going on, you know, competing against each other. That's cool. Tomahawk throws and knife throws and, you know, shooting. It was just something so inherent into who I was Mm. that I just needed that part of my my life to always be emphasized specifically with the wilderness Mm -hmm. and it's always been something that i've truly loved and it's it's something that i grew up in my my grandpa would would drop me off like on a ridgeline at nine years old or whatever it was and he would say i'm gonna drive around uh to the other side and i want you to just walk from this ridge down that draw and come up the other side just keep walking straight you're going to run into a road and I'm going to pick you up on that other side. Well, I was flushing deer, (laughs) you know, (laughs) no compass, you know, and, and that's, that's the way that we, we lived. And, uh, so when I, when I joined, you know, SF, it was actually only a way at that time, you know, SF was an image in my mind, right? It was like, what, what do all these guys do? I just wanted to spend more time in the woods, and at that time that was pre nine eleven and so you know s f guys were just kind of known as like living in the fucking hola man, like that's where they <laughs> that's like, what you do lived out there yeah, And you know I was snake eater, right it's like I just wanted to live out of a rucksack in the middle of fucking nowhere uh doing my thing for the United States government and uh you know, nothing else really appealed to me in any context as far as like I, I wasn't a water guy. I grew up in the mountains. Right. So I just wanted to live out of a rucksack, train an in endage to over the countries. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And so the obviously what's uh, even better is that they have we have a, we've created
5: a, a platform for that. Like this, our country and our people have created an outlet <laughs> for us to do that. I mean, I'm the same way when you're growing up, man, it's kind of like, I want to go hanging out in the woods and live there. And when they find me, I'm a different color because I hadn't bathed in months. And I've been tra- <laughs> that's what they, ta- I mean, green, greeny beans, man, that SF, that's that fit that y'all do, that, that, that main component is really something. That's why their pipeline's so damn long. I mean, the, the 18 deltas all the way from, out to the echoes. Oh, exactly. It doesn't even matter, man. You're, you're going out and living in the, in wherever purpose versus presence, right? Or, Back. I guess it depends on what time of the year it is, man. But no one other unit does that. And I just
4: thought that was always
5: the sexiest. Oh you know?
4: bro. Like I from the early on when I was a kid, it was SF, man. It was it was Apocalypse Now. That it was Rambo, uh Rambo, dude. Deer Hunter, man. It was yeah. Rambo. Yeah. I mean, th- badass, man. It, so I can see the appeal. When when in the process after you had been in for a while, did this, you know, what were you learning so much about, you know, this never quit mindset as it began to play out on a bigger level, right? As it related to inner interagency workings or different units in this this collective mindset that was spread across, whether it was the SAS, the agency, whatever, how relevant it was to be attached to those positive type of people in your life for the long term.
7: Yeah, it's absolutely paramount. Like you know, the one thing that I would say is you know that being around a bunch of guys from the same unit, the same subculture, the same background, you're not exposed to different services really, unless you go and train them as an SF guy and then you're training with them. Um, you know, I, the the guys that I met in Special Forces, it was like a, a cultural assimilation in the sense of like if you get a good team. Um, they wouldn't allow that psychological negativity to even encroach upon the team right so you know team dynamics uh making sure that everybody's kind of moving towards the same mission uh beating every every obstacle right just there is no there is no such thing as an obstacle it's just a problem that you have to solve and That was absolutely paramount as far as, you know, the guys that I respected and truly loved. They were fucking badass dudes that were really smart. And (laughs) yes, that's like, you know, it's one thing to be just tough, which is, I think that's, that is, that is something that you have to have. But if you're tough and you're, you're, you're physically tough, psychologically tough, and you're fucking intelligent on top of it, man, the world is your oyster, right? And intelligence comes in like, wide variety of things it could be it's not just doing fucking calculus or something like that it's being able to work through very complex problems and finding an answer with uh conventional and unconventional solutions and that doesn't take a guy with a high iq that takes a guy that won't quit to develop that portion of their their body and uh you know i've, I've been around plenty of guys that were really smart they couldn't leverage their gray matter, so they were they were really intelligent. They were tough, but they couldn't leverage their gray matter for whatever reason. And a lot of that was complacency and laziness. Yeah. So, you know, don't be a lazy bag of shit. Leverage every piece of the assets that God gave you, and the gray matter is probably the most important muscle you can leverage.
5: Oh, absolutely. If you think about it. Most everybody, most every human, when you get up in the morning, there's something that you do that you're going to start and you're going to finish, no matter how bad it gets, right. no matter how mundane, from making coffee, washing dishes. I guess with us, man, that applies to no to everything, no matter what we do, right? And if you the the fear and every of of the unknown is kind of what drives us, it's that fuel for it. And then once we just get the all we are is master of the basics. You just sit there until yeah. you get the basics down, and then we hone that in and hone that in. And there's not too much more sexy stuff that goes on top of that. It's just how fast we can execute. Amen. And, uh, if, if we do throw some of that flare on the end of it, when we, you, you know, when well, that's what that is, cause when we get hit, it goes away, right? It falls apart or some shit. Cause we just, right. it doesn't even make sense to practice it that hardest. Oh, I, you know, I thought of that at the last minute, well, that didn't work, but guess what did, you know, the basics that we boiled ourselves down to the never quit thing. You never really even think about it, man. until somebody else comes in talking about wanting to quit.
4: And, and then yeah. it presents itself. Yeah, it presents itself yeah. like,
5: wait, that was an option? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how that festers. First of all, just don't even st- talk about it. whatever it is you're doing, this is it. Yeah, That's all that exists. Like, If we, if we want to get in shape, it's not a lined out time, date, and this, that, and the other, or the diet. It's just this is the only thing I have in the house to eat now. And I I work out because it's what I do. It's part of my life, right? Just no matter what that is, we'll find a way to do an exercise even if we don't have access to a gym, and it's just that creative mind that goes around saying, "Bam, I have to have, I have to be in shape. i oh, have time to get to a gym. What am I doing right now that I can do to get me, in, or, you know, in that to direction? Improve. Right, Anchor exactly. Not it's always we find an out for every occurrence, or at least we try to. Most people think that point A to point B straight line that's the only way to do it. But in our world, it's there's you know the, the other 359 degrees that we examine from. And if you're surrounded and, and things seem overwhelming, it's not retreat because you're surrounded retreat is backwards, just move in a direction and then find the weak point and then go.
4: I love how you reference in terms of creativity and and using your our backgrounds as a launching point for that creativity. Once you're talking about Evan, what you're you're saying is once you have the confidence and that ability to make rapid decisions to manage stress, you have a great you know group of positives around you, great team, now it's a question of being creative. And that's kind of what I was hoping to share with the, the the audience about when I first met you. You were the first guy in contracting, and I've been contracting a lot a long time. That when I asked the question to, well, what's your out? What's your plan? What are you doing, man? You hit me like a mod deuce of ideas about what you were going to get going and what you were going to do, and and I got to tell you, man, that's the my my really. What I love truly most about you, Evan, is your the way your brain works in that creativity to recognize pathways of opportunity that shouldn't even be in our wheelhouse, but you're not going to, the never quit is not even an option to get that going. Can you describe in your past and at that time, and this for our listeners, this was like 2010 when I first ran into Evan, can you describe where that started building in you, and how it has just thrived to where you're at now.
7: Yeah, I think you know, contracting was one of those things. It was like it was a means to an end, right? It's it's kind of a, a middleman to the rest of your life, and it's not it's not <laughs> it's not something that like a lot of us are saying. Hey, I'm in I'm in this for the long haul. You know, I was in it longer than I than I wanted to be. You know, and I also knew that. I had to have an exit strategy. And as a, as a former you know combo guy, you always have to have primary alternate contingency emergency, right? And uh, for me, planning has always been one of those things like, okay, if this fails, and I also know that I've got a fucking uh, horrible mouth and I'm hyper disrespectful <laughs> and, and it's that I find like – to people that I find are, are either, you know, ignorant or lazy. So I also knew that being a government contractor was finite for me on a couple different lines, which is I'm going to quit. Like, the, there's just no way Evan fits into a fucking bureaucratic institution for the long haul. I knew that. Like, <laughs> I knew that. And uh, God, my objective so was always to yeah. have economic, um, Sovereignty. So I wanted to be free of any outside influence that could obstruct my development, whether it was, you know, professionally or personally. And I always had this, this idea that I was going to take away from the government and start my own business. Like, that's what I wanted to do. And uh, whether that was like I had to go back and go to school for a while to learn some other skills so I could do it or, you know, start a business that I already had pre-existing skills but finding those things isn't like it wasn't as black and white as probably people think. You know, it's you can't be afraid to fail and you just got to try. And I think that's where the confidence came in, because I, I really, you know, failure to me is quitting. Right. So when you define it as that and if quitting's not an option, then you really can't fail. Amen. Uh, you just try and you keep trying a ton of different things. And then you wash out the negative shit. You know, I I'll tell you guys. Like, I was in my garage uh, roasting coffee, uh, probably in 2015, right after I started the the Black Rifle Coffee. I had put eighteen hundred dollars into it. I was down to like nothing. You know, I had zero <laughs> money in my bank account. Um, I bought you know roaster and bags, and I was like, man, I'm going to try to make this work. And you know, I, I literally was like my back was against the wall. Like I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make this. And I sat on a Pelican case full of fucking kit and, you know, had the option to go back to contracting and or, you know, keep keep slugging it out. And I turned to the left of my gun safe and I was like, I'm just going to have to fucking sell everything that I own because I'm not I'm not going to quit. Awesome. And I even give that, you an option, right? Get rid of it. If you're yep. sitting there staring me in the face, right, yeah, man, get it out of here. Everything that I own, there's nothing that I am attached to in my life besides my friend, my family, and friends. There's zero material possession that I that I give two flying shits about. Um, but I do give a lot of shits about having personal freedom and the ability to choose, uh, you know, who we spend our time with. And I never wanted to waste another second of my life being involved with people that are overwhelmingly negative and that to me I had reached a point in government service where I just felt the majority of the people that I was that were managing me were overwhelmingly negative. Yes. And create a negative environment. Well, I didn't want to raise my family in that. I didn't want to be part of it. And I was like, you know what, I will either fail at the last fucking breath in my body doing this or I will succeed. But statistically speaking, I felt like if if I poured everything, every ounce fucking squeezed every drop out of that sponge, at least I would know that I did everything in my power to succeed in a life that I wanted versus taking the fucking easy way out. And
4: I love you, brother. <laughs> 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 Holy shit. That's awesome. That gets me fired up right there, dude. That gets me fired up. And and if people can just comprehend that, that's what it takes. That's what it takes. And that effort and that managing the stress of the despair, right? Managing the, the distress and implementing the knowledge that you possess, the positivity, the capabilities to make it work. What, what was the moment where you started going, Evan, where you're like, this is gonna work, man. Awesome.
7: Uh it was like why it was right after that. So I made the decision. I I put every everything that I owned, I basically sold. Everything that I owned. I sold everything that I owned, literally to, to everything that I had. And um and at that point it was like a, a, a valve released. It was like psh, the stress came off. Because it's like at least I did something and I knew that, okay, now, now I've got a little bit more capital to feed my family for the next you know six months of my life where I was like, okay, six months, I've got some pressure released from me now and I can just solely focus on making sure that Black Rifle Coffee is going to be a success and not a failure and ultimately like right after that, the the, the tides kind of turned. I was doing a, a combination of of coursework and you know taking on additional training. I was I was doing all my own customer service. I was roasting all my coffee. I was packing all my coffee. I was like packing, roasting, customer service, like like designing bags, anything and everything to do with my business. I did it all. Like every I every stitch and <clears throat> you know put like apparel. I do I do my own apparel designs and I put on my credit card and like think to myself how am I going to sell this right and then how am I going to create enough money that I can buy more shirts and sell more shirts and or more coffee you know Matt and I were were really good friends at that time and I you know I talked to him uh, several times Black Rifle Coffee was completely you know outside of you know invest we were just buddies and we uh their coffee for article 15 clothing and you know, Matt and I were talking, It's like, man, I I think that if we got together and we started coupling some ideas that we had, we had had kind of on the table, we could, we could do something really good with, with this company. And I think it was probably a month or two after that, where, um, things started to turn around, like sales really started to increase. I got some breathing room. I knew kind of like, okay, I can do this. Uh, now it's 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 still it was still excruciatingly painful you know i didn't pay myself for 2 years wow and 2 years without without an income um you know i sold everything that i owned 2 years without an income it was it was a brutal process to move through but i also knew that i was going to be much better uh, as as a businessman if i could just move through these these performance wickets as a company as an individual People didn't know that, you know, people like, oh, a Black Rifle, you know, successful. And I had 20 employees at the time and I had paid myself back the eighteen hundred dollars, I think, at that time with 20 some employees. And I'd made over, I think, eight million dollars in gross at that time. And I had paid myself back less than twenty thousand dollars in salary or compensation. And I was putting every penny back into the business and hiring and training and just doing anything and everything that I could do to to make sure that Black Rifle Coffee was going to be a company that would ultimately, one, create enough good for me and my family and my friends where I could continue to hire the people that I fucking loved. And I could create the environment that I wanted to live in versus the one that I, I was basically, it was chosen for me based on economics, right? Right. But- I thought back to all the nasty things that I, I, you know, like the things that I had done in my life, and I was like, things can get much worse.
4: <laughs> you know, I'm, gonna get my,
7: I'm not going to get my legs blown off doing this. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to. And, and that was a,
4: was,
7: I'm, was a constant reminder. I'm not going to lose, lose life limb or eyesight. The worst that can happen is I'm going to find myself. You know either carrying a gun for a living, which I knew I wasn't going to do that again, or I was going to be back at a university trying to get some bullshit degree to you know qualify for a job that I fucking hated. But I wasn't going to. <laughs> I mean, you know what
6: I'd like to really hear is uh, is you distill down into some of the, the key things that you've learned, you know, starting a business, being an entrepreneur. I mean, there's a ton of listeners out there. There's somewhere around 700,000 new businesses started in the United States. So I know that there's listeners that are going to be hearing this that are wondering, well, you know, what? I'd like, I'm in a never quit situation right here with my new business, whatever it happens to be. Can you pull out some key elements, you know, maybe you've brought them from the military. Maybe it came from before that, just things that you've, uh, that have helped carry you through and build, you know, black rifle into success.
7: Yeah. Um, well, I just, I had been in situations where I'd gone chips in, man. I'd been chips in like multiple times in my life where it's like, there is, there is no other option, right? There's you, you commit, every fucking ounce of your DNA to something. I knew what that was like, right? Because Mm -hmm. in order to become a Green Beret or Navy SEAL or anything that you got, you've got to go chips in, like full fucking whole hog, man. You sell the farm and you go in. If you don't, you don't make it. Ever. And then Hmm. you, you don't make it. It's just bottom line. And if you do make it and you somehow manage to get onto a team, you're a dirtbag team guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> right,
4: right. <Piece> shit.
7: <laughs> you're a fucking dirtbag team guy. And those guys are the guys that like in my, in my subculture and the people that I was around is like, I didn't want to have anything to do with those guys. They were like fucking cancer, even on, you know, even within the special operations units and, or, you know, contracting or whatever it is. Like I want dudes that are chips in with me, just like I'm chips in. And referencing that, being able to say, okay, I've been in way tougher situations in my life, and I've referenced that a thousand times, which is business is not going to get my legs blown off, right? Like business is not going to – and life is one of those things where like, okay, if I'm going to lose my life here, that's like the better of some of these options that I'm looking at and weighing at, right? And we know that. We've all done it. We've all done the fucking gamble, which is like – We've all said to ourselves, like, OK, the worst thing that can happen to me here is this. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. In really fucking bad situations where we've had to look at the that reality in the face. It's not an abstract thought. It is fucking going to happen. Right. And so being able to pull back that experience and go, I've been in tougher situations. I that I have proven that I am you know, psychologically and physically tough enough in order to be a 1% guy. And in business, when you have, you know, what it, it's some overwhelming statistics, you know, like it's like one out of a hundred businesses actually succeed. Well, I'm like, I'm comfortable with those odds, you know, <laughs> I'm those odds, I'm more I'm really than comfortable with those not odds. having any never quit moments in your
5: life. You're not gaining any ground. I mean, you're not no. really sure. doing anything. It's people want to go out and anticipate all the the money and that's a byproduct of doing what you love i mean it just kind of comes naturally but if you're not hitting any walls man you're not really testing yourself you want those there we were talking about this the other night man literally if you're starting off plan for that be like all right i got this and gonna have this will be the good part where's my bad part this guy right over here he's going to be my negative kind of i know i'm about to deal with that it's that constant pressure and the only way we grow is through pressure whether it's working out or whatever and yeah you know what i mean That. That lets you the the pain is there's multiple parts of it, but yeah, I mean and we, pain is is a matter of perception to who's in it totally
7: and to and to answer the second part of that too uh mm-hmm. wizard is I had to learn how to basically do what I call time triage, the prioritization of effort and work, which is. I knew that I could put the amount of work into it. I knew that I was intellectually capable in order to do it. I knew that I was lacking in experience. So I would start to bucket my time and say, okay, this worked. This didn't work. Okay, I'll just invest more time and energy into the things that work. And I started making lists Mm. early on. And then I would assess what impact that activity had on my business, like on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month. And then I would bucket and push more of my time and effort into the things that were working and less of my time into the things that weren't working. That was probably one of the single most effective things that I did in two years was people would look at it sometimes like I was crazy. But I would look at guys, I'm building something that might not be a success tomorrow, I need it to be a success next year. But more importantly, I need it to be a success, you know, three years down the road. And in order to do that, you have to look three years. So you're looking, you know, strategically as like when, when you're looking at a business as a chess game. If I move my pawn here and I take this guy's pawn. That might feel good instantly, right? That's a that's like the instant gratification. But I'm also mm. making myself susceptible to losing my king if I make this move. A lot of guys in business, they just start making moves because it feels good and it's instant gratification. They're not mm. thinking about how the big game plays out. And they're not thinking three, four, five moves ahead. I've always thought three years ahead. Like I'm three years ahead now. Wow. In order to do that, you can't waste – you cannot waste your time pulling, you know, all this effort, intellectual capacity and your ability to not quit and do bullshit that won't get you to where you want to go. And you got to chop that stuff away like it doesn't matter. I am sociopathic with shit like I will fucking chop it away in a heartbeat if it doesn't directly return a positive, when I say it doesn't have to be a dollar, right? Because it's just about building something that you want. It has to return something in the positive direction to what I'm trying to build three years down the road, not tomorrow. Yeah, wow. That's, that's
5: great. I mean, the, and people who are listening, are like, well, I don't have the capacity to build something out three years in advance. We just told you how he did it. I mean, you, you,
4: a chips and all chips, right? In, you cut
5: away the white noise, the, the, the bullshit. Right. right. And, and that's just from experience.
6: No. Can you say a little bit more about cutting away those things that were not maximally effective of your time? You're talking about time triage. How yeah. the decision making process? How you identified I, those things that were you had to let it go?
7: Um, a lot of guys get bogged down in what's like the uh, like a biz tab cycle, right? They're like, oh, I want to do. I want to do this. And, you know, there's, and a lot of guys like us, we've got 20 great ideas, right? We got 20 mm-hmm. great ideas. I mean, sometimes we start with like, you know, 20 great ideas, and then you're trying to work on those all 20 ideas instead of going, hey, you know what, I'm going to concentrate on this one for a while, see how that works. And when I say that, okay, I had a business called uh twist rate for instance. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, it was a, I think it was a great idea. Um, I think that it was poor timing and timing is a lot in business. It was poor timing. It was a great idea. Uh, it was an audacious goal, but you know, I got to a point where I'd been working that company for over a year. It just wasn't gaining any traction. It was just a fucking dogfight every day to try to get anything out of it. It was brutal. Hmm. And, um, I had, you know, even though I'd had so much time and so much money, I mean, I had my own money invested in it, but I had, more importantly, my time invested in it. Once I came to the conclusion, this is not going to work, <laughs> <laughs> huh. uh, it was gone. Like, it was it was a matter of, like, maybe three days of, you know, me writing out, you know, lists and priorities and then sketching out the future and then, like, not being able to see you know, past a certain point with the business and understanding, my some of the frustrations with I had some business partners that I wasn't necessarily principally in line with. I was chopped away. I chopped away a year of my life and and literally hundreds of hours, the thousands of hours at that time. I just chopped it away, and I knew that it wasn't going to get me to where I needed to go. The other piece to that was I was really just not happy doing it, and. Mm. Uh, I was roasting coffee still throughout that time, right? I was roasting coffee and, and uh, coffee was never necessarily something I was looking at as like a monetization strategy and business terms. I wasn't saying, Hey, I'm going to roast coffee and be a coffee guy. I actually looked at it like, this is my hobby and I don't want to necessarily a lot of people are like you should invest your time and your passions. And it's like, you should invest your time in your passions if they will pay you a check. <laughs> you should,
4: Roger that.
7: Don't, don't be a fucking fool, man. Like if, pho- if photography is your passion and you want to invest a bunch of time into it, be prepared to lose all your money. Uh, <laughs> and I, I chopped it away, and I was—I had like three businesses at the time. I had Twist I had Ready Man, I had Black Rifle. I had three businesses. I was so spread thin. I was working 20 hours a day, like nonstop, just trying to figure out how to do this. And, you know, I chopped away twist rate, chopped away ready, man, focused everything I could. I went chips in on black rifle. And then in black rifle, I did the same thing. It was like, okay, what isn't going to return and, you know, a positive, uh, you know, an ROI on my time an investment of my time is getting, you know, bogged down into like bullshit conversations with, you know, with people that are never, when I say that, it's like, I was dealing with people Mm. at that time. Like, I want you to roast my coffee and I want it to be, you know, you're going to make 50 cents a bag. And I'm like, no, like I just had <laughs> to chop away all those all those stupid conversations that I was having with other people trying to get something off the ground. And I went I went and poured everything I knew and everything that I could I could get into as far as being able to dive into Black Rifle and be able to take what I felt was the the highest quality product in coffee at the time and say, I want a coffee company. What do I need to do to make a coffee company? What do I need to do to make a coffee company that will be worth millions of dollars, not a couple dollars, right? I wasn't interested in creating myself a job. I wanted to create an empire that could have influence in our subculture. And hmm. that's when I said, okay, you know what? Matt and those guys are really, really good at content. I was really good at, I'm really good at data. That's one thing that I've found out that I'm halfway decent at. You are not- a geek,
4: by the way. You You I'm are. Like,
7: I am. Yeah. I, and, and I love, and I, and I loved like analyzing things. I love pulling tools and looking at, you know, traffic and why and, like all these things that I was like, yeah, I love this, Fascinating. but still need to be able to, I still need to be able to roast a high quality coffee. I still need to be able to sell it. So I kind of said, Hey, I'm going to have to chop away portion of my company. I can't be the guy that bags the coffee. I'm going to have to hire somebody for $12 or $15 an hour to bag the coffee, pack the boxes, fold the shirts. you know. Then it was like, I can't do customer service. Even though I want to do it, I can't do it. I've gotta hire somebody to do customer service because they're gonna do, that's their only job and I can hold them accountable for it. And I would get tired and I maybe not put it the amount of effort that I should be into the customers. So I said, I'm gonna focus on coffee and I'm going to focus on the ability to properly market my product. Those are the two things. And that's the only thing I'm going to focus on. And that's when I started chopping other, when I say chopping, like chopping those things away, but then hiring people to, to, to do those things is a really hard process. A lot of business owners don't want to hire people because they're like, oh, I, you know, I do it right now and I don't want to relinquish this authority mm-hmm. and I don't want to do, you know, they don't want to because of fear. And I was like, I'm going to have to step off they'll let you hear when I have to trust some people and I'm also gonna have to trust my ability to manage those people and hold them accountable. So that's what I'm referring to when I say mm-hmm. chop away everything in your life that doesn't return a positive ROI. And that's it. Like for me, if I invest my time in, in the business, you know, my family returns a positive ROI in a different way, which is they give me happiness, right? Right. and I Like they give me happiness. Yeah. One that's thing funny. for the other. I mean, ROI. You, you,
5: that's the problem with us. Is once we get to that to that level, twenty different things. That's nothing to us when we're yeah. in there with the command because you got you got your boys with you, and we, we obviously don't realize how much we cover down on each other. And then when you pop out, you, know, you start cutting it away because you're you're out there in in the trenches by yourself. I was thinking about that way. It's like man, twenty different things. You need twenty different teammates, and I was you know you start pulling some of your boys back in to alleviate that stress. They're not it's not that they're just taken away, man. You're, they become a part of it, make it stronger
6: yeah yeah well you know you know what I thought was originally so interesting about this idea of cutting things away is because and this brings it back to our show of never quitting. Sometimes, I think people go through mental gymnastics trying to make a distinction between the idea of never quitting, never giving up on something, but there is a time and a place to let things go and cut them away, like you just mentioned do you see do you see that' a distinction there? What is the difference between a quitter, someone who quits something, and someone? Who just recognizes this has got to be eliminated?
4: Great question.
7: Um, well, here a perfect example is you know if you have a leg that's that's gangrene and you have to you you have to amputate it <laughs> to survive. Uh, are you a quitter for <laughs> amputating your leg so you can continue to live? Um, that's the difference, which is there. there is a difference when you chop things away in order to create the, the, the individual or the success that you've defined for yourself. It's a necessity to life, actually. So it's not quitting. So when you quit, that's saying my my mission statement. So if we go back to like my mission statement, which was to economically emancipate myself from government service and to ultimately live a more fulfilling and happier life. Happiness is defined by me. But how I do that that's the mission the mm. the vehicle that I drive I'll drive 20 fucking vehicles and the second that vehicle fucking runs out of gas I'll shit can it and throw it down the fucking hill and get another one <laughs> that's that's it man which is like you when you when you define your mission statement in life and you say if you say if you attach it to you know an an, an individual or a specific business and not necessarily like that, what is the strategic objectives of, of the United States counterterrorism uh, um, counterterrorism objective, which is like to to find and defeat terrorism internationally? It's not to you know kill terrorists in Afghanistan. That's just part of it, right? It's mm-hmm. fucking. It, the overall international strategic objective has to be defined so the individual has to define their mission objectives in a very strategic way and they plug the individual assets mm-hmm. into their life that they will need in order to achieve mission success and mm-hmm. for me hey man you you have to be sociopathic when it comes to achieving your mission because ultimately that's what you have defined for yourself when you start Redefining your mission, that means that you're probably or you haven't invested enough time because I can achieve that mission. You know what I mean? Like I can achieve that mission. I know I can. It also has to be reasonable as far as like, can I do this? Yes, I can do that. Fuck yeah, I can do that, man. I can I can achieve economic emancipation and live a more fulfilling and happier life. But how you plug those things in and define ultimately what's fulfillment, what's happiness, economic emancipation, what's that mean? Like what do those things mean? Those are individual mission objectives within the strategic mission, right? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> that's what I mean by that. And then everything that everything that fucking creates an obstacle to your mission, you have to blow through it. And if it creates uh, lethargy or additional baggage or weight, you chop it away because it's it's decreasing your velocity to ultimately achieving what you're trying to set out to do.
4: I dig a what I brother, put it together. Evan I, I got to tell you, man, that. Th- what you just said to our listeners is exactly what people need to hear, dude. Um, the, 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 the way you approach things, bro, in all seriousness, is, uh, I've always just had such profound respect for you, how you do it, how you execute. I, I gravitated towards it, and I've seen a lot of other really intelligent, creative people do the same thing, man. Uh, I can't thank you enough for your time and your crazy schedule to to come on and share with us, brother, your your ideas, your wisdom, your journey, it's just such a privilege and an honor. I, I just, you know, thank you so so much for coming on, dude.
7: Fuck, it's my pleasure, man. Like like uh, obviously, like anytime, like I, I, you know, you know how much I love you, Dave. You're like my brother from another mother. So Amen. like, you know, as time passes and schedules don't necessarily match it doesn't defeat the actual you know how we feel and uh, you know I can't tell you guys how much uh, how much I care about Dave Rutt. and and uh, cool. you know my my friendship with him means a, means it means a ton so just so you guys know like Dave's like one of the most fucking positive upbeat influential he is <laughs> god so far, do we ever know oh really <laughs> <laughs> like sometimes mm. you just like if I could talk to Dave every day I'd be able to run through every fucking wall on planet Earth <laughs> active <it>, right?
6: cocaine <laughs> <laughs>
7: Hey, hey, it's working man all yeah. I say is don't, don't fucking change the formula because <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
5: whatever chemicals make that happen <laughs> they start drawing this out and put it in the coffee bro
6: oh my god it's a blend hey, hey when he goes down, I'll
5: put him down tonight man I'll go with, I'll extract some stuff I'll see what we can you day
6: of extract
5: do your chemistry on it and see what we can uh, figure out fuck. but yeah no that's the greatest part about the our worlds and how the relationships kind of come back together man whether or not we were and the box out here so uh, we were talking about this before you came on man just your your kind of approach on life and how you're busting through there and then us on our end i can't wait to see you know we're gonna bottleneck together eventually oh, continuously yeah and just kind of pushed as hard as humanly possible it's, uh, there's no way that wouldn't happen because how many times we've been together it's yeah. crazy how yeah. how that circle works it's awesome yeah.
7: the circle is strong it yeah, is, is I, strong. I look at it too man in business and anything else you know 360 degree perimeter like you gotta form one but the great thing about business and the great thing about networks that we have now is that perimeter can get fucking as big as we need it to be oh man right? and, the
5: tru- and the trust too man that's the amen people, most people spend entire life trying to to just to develop a rapport a relationship that we have that that got hammered into us right
4: and it's preset <laughs> it's, it's preset yeah, awesome well brother I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. Uh, you're an inspiration. God bless you and keep rocking, and we'll talk soon, man. Especially when you get to Texas. Woo-hoo! That's right. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Later, <laughs> brother. Thanks, bud. Bro, is my man Evan one smart? Dark, MF, right? Right? dude. No. Oh. Dude, seriously, I, I tell you what, I you know what,
5: those, those guys we have in the platoon space. You, you walk in, they're reading a physics book or, <laughs> or studying to go to medical school, well, or starting a
4: business, right? They got like a whole thing going on <laughs> off the side, right? Or they're managing stocks. That was in my yeah, first platoon, yeah, right, right, It was when I Microsoft was that, right. blowing up, right? And every they're like, "Hey, dude, what's your Microsoft stock at?" I'm like, "My Microsoft stock, I, I don't even my paycheck's gone already." <laughs> But it was always those cats that were always. They had that mindset, like Evans. Like on they top were of being thinking. SF,
5: and you got all this going. Most people spend an entire career in one of them fields,
4: right? And it's enough, right. right? But it was with him, and I swear, within seconds of meeting this dude, you could just see there was something, there was something, there was something. And I bet, I you know, he said it on the interview. He guaranteed, you know, it wasn't coffee. He had no dream, but it was. Man, he took this hobby. He saw the potential, and that's Mm -hmm. what he does. What I really love about Evan is his ability to look at the spectrum of the battlefield, see where those those the the opportunities are, and then he goes towards those and he does it all in chips in, as he says. Mm. And I think just like an
5: operator, just
4: like one, just like one, just like one. But he does it with that you know that clarity of a businessman too. I mean, and it's funny. You could listen to his story all day long and go, "Well, damn, he didn't get his MBA from Stanford. He didn't go to Harvard. He didn't need any of that shit. All he needed was what wizard
6: intelligence and motivation to go out and learn what you need to learn and pick it up." Because I know Which you becoming easier and easier right, and with, easier yeah, as time goes on. People we can go find it, out how to out. do about anything
4: absolutely Remember the the 18- yeah, the access to information guys would get out
5: the 18 deltas man they got asherman he did the chest seal it's just one of them things that we utilize in the teams it's kind of obscure to us but then we find out a cool way to advance it yes and then it's those guys who get out i mean and and take it to a different level
4: well we're in the age of venturepreneurs, right. right we're we're in an age where you can literally hmm. Because of guys like Matt and guys like uh, uh, Nick from Ranger Up, and and all these these veteran-based businesses that have taken these platforms to uh, the next level to make you know our you know our backgrounds, our attitudes towards life as a commodity, and to be able to sell it as it's attached to a particular. Uh, um, whether it's a t shirt or it's a coffee mm. or it's a motivational Stuff idea. Stuff we
5: actually do and like to do in the military, right? We like to watch movies, guys got out and learned how to make movies. Right. Drink coffee, learn how to make coffee. I mean, they're covering down on every
4: little aspect of what makes How come there's no veteran dip? Mm. That's actually a good that's a good question. Right? How come there's no veteran based <laughs> dip? And you call like one Afghan shit flake, right? Oh. <laughs> God, You'd call one there, right, uh, I- Iraqi stench. You'd call <laughs> one right. The Afghan green, green be deodorant. Deodorant. <laughs> <laughs> no, because nobody's gonna buy. A but like yeah
6: but dude. you're right there's there's so many out there they take whatever market segment it happens to be or product and then they create kind of a niche by branding it with the military what was he calling of it a subculture it. right the, Sub- That's what Evan yeah, was it. saying was it's a subculture and they hey. they combine the two things and there's quite a few examples of success with that right operator
4: now. coffee I'm an operator I drink coffee i drink coffee well yeah. what I <laughs> love what I love is with with you know Marcus, with uh, you know, and you you played a major role with this in bringing our mentality with your books to the market with your story. You know, I think there's other people bring you know who've done that. Chris did the same thing and really created this groundswell of understanding that hey, the way we process information, the way we make decisions under stress, that's that's translatable into our listeners lives right you can hear mm-hmm. these stories of the people the guests that we bring on of our stories of of our mindset and you can take these finer points and begin to imply them that's why i love wizard the question that you asked about getting rid of stuff and how critical that is
6: yeah the time triage that was when he said was, he had mentioned that before in an article and and i had a read there was a note here about that to expand on it and i'm glad he got into it because i thought that was some very practically useful information which oh, anyone in business, you know it's deep man it that's can can the one thing we can't take
5: advantage control. of it
4: for for sure and i also like the fat when you clarified with the thing of the quitting versus getting rid of the unnecessary i mean that it's trimming the fat and i think it really creates this wonderfully positive environment of of learning that failure is a is a positive part of of your growth of learning that uh you know the stressors of of chips all in i mean i just that concept is Mm -hmm. so foreign to so many people because the way we learn to compartmentalize our fear and to stay in the ever-present comfort zone that man when you hear it it's just inspiring,
6: and people being afraid. This is actually, Sir uh, Sir Robert touched on that as started touching on that as well. Is is not we love you, Sir getting Robert. Getting loaded down, encumbered by too many material possessions, financial responsibilities, social responsibilities. The point is, if you are, then that prevents you from going. You're too afraid to go. Chips in, whether so it
4: yeah, absolutely. You're, I,
6: you're afraid to lose so much of what you have. But then Evan here, you know, talks about how man he. Doesn't give a shit about well, that. That means shit. it all yeah. has you. Yeah. <laughs> he has, he has an order and priority of work and what's important in his life, and he's willing to just shit can the rest of it. And that's it. So he can push forward. Uh, wait, I got to read the quote that he had from the. Thing. Yeah, he read says, this. This is good. Um, obstacles must be blown through, and excess baggage needs to be cut away because it decreases velocity. Focus on the mission objective.
4: That right there is gold. That's true gold of an attitude of the it. never quit mindset. Well,
5: I mean, absolutely. It boils down, man, and what he owns doesn't own him. Right. Most of the stuff we complain about is the existential extra comfort stuff. Because when it comes time to, to uh, when you boil everything down, man, if you're hungry, you ain't complaining about it. You're out hunting.
4: Nice. Exactly. And 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 I think he was re- he did a great job of showing our listeners. What that hunger entails—whether it was coming out of the woods as a kid driving deer for his grandfather, whether it was going through SF Selection with uh, you know 100 pounds on his back for 23 hours, whether it was running from Iraqi army in in, in Mosul, or whether it's Canon, other businesses that aren't working, sticking to something that he's good at and giving it everything he has to make that come to fruition man
5: it's feeding the animal whatever it is that drives us that, that
4: internally con- right? yeah, exactly yeah man,
5: that's out there we're we're eating the eating that up we're that's feeding the mind and the body the whole time all those experiences good and the bad
4: i love that concept you're feeding the soul right with the with the effort with the drive with the the accomplishment of the mission in front of them and i think man he was and that's the- where the
5: feeling of life comes from
4: totally and, and Evan is able to articulate that mission focus just about as better, best as anybody we've had on this show. Listen, mm. if if you're a first-time listener to this show, man, damn, you just got an awesome dose of of information that will help you overcome those obstacles and drive forward and and, and accomplish your mission in the face of, Adversity, man. I mean, that's who Evan Hafer is, and that's what Black Rifle Coffee's all about. That's their mission. And and listen, if you're if you're coming back for more, you're a repeat offender. Uh, once again, I think you know the three of us, the Wizard Marcus and I, have accomplished our mission in life, which is to deliver some co- positive content for you to help you find what you're passionate of, and even march forth unto the breach in the combat in your life to to understand what it takes to uh, overcome, uh, you know, adversity, to drive on in the face of absolute failure and go chips in, man. Listen, if you want to learn more... Well said. uh, Thank you, brother. If you Mm want to learn more about Black Rifle Coffee and the team, please go to blackriflecoffee.com where you can meet their whole team. You can see videos... They've got great coffee, by the way. They do make great coffee. (laughs) Uh, They have killer T-shirts. They have all different types of things they're involved with. You can see all the different partnerships they're involved in. Uh, Go to YouTube. This is where so many people out there find uh, Evan and the gang is is through their YouTube videos. They literally, I mean, there's some of the funniest videos you will ever see online. And and they are amazing amazing they are amazing but you know what else is amazing dave being
6: prepared and i'm going to tell you how wise company is going to help you do just that there is what seems to be a continuous stream of natural disasters in the news hurricanes tornadoes floods wildfires power outages freaks snowstorms well ask yourself a simple question and be completely honest if you were without these basic services for a period of time three days a week two weeks maybe more Without access to drinking water, food, heat, emergency services, would you be reasonably capable of attending to these crucial needs? Could you take care of yourself and your family without electrical power, local supermarket, water utility, or fire and police personnel for security? If not, taking a big step in the right direction is easy with Wise Emergency Foods simple and affordable freeze-dried food for emergency preparedness and outdoor use. Give yourself peace of mind knowing you're prepared with plenty of emergency food for a shelf life of 25 years. When you find yourself stuck in an emergency situation, Wise Emergency Food can save the day. All you need are four cups of water, and it doesn't even have to be hot. You dump the contents of the pouch right in the water. You stir, cover, that's it. In 15 minutes, it's ready to go for your family no matter what the situation. You know you're responsible for your family's safety, but who has the time to do the research and planning to truly prepare? Well, now you don't have to, because Wise Company has made being prepared a simple click away. Wise makes it simple to get prepared for whatever comes next. Now, this week, our listeners get a one-week grab-and-go emergency food kit at 50% off at wisefoodstorage.com forward slash TNQP or by calling 855-475-3082, and the shipping is free. This kit includes two easy-to-carry buckets full of emergency food and one survival backpack loaded up with food and gear. Now, Wise has a 90-day no-questions-asked return policy, so there's no risk in taking the initiative to get yourself and your family more prepared today. That's wisefoodstorage.com forward slash TNQP and save 50% off a one-month grab-and-go
4: emergency food kit. All right, bud. All right. If you're digging our show and you're having a blast, man, thank you so much. Uh, If you've got a great never-quit story that involves business, that involves uh, your all-in, chips-all-in moment, please go to our website at tnqpodcast.com. Share that with us. Uh, we'll upload if it's fan. You know, we're, we go through them. We upload them. We're creating this great, great catalog of stories, Wizard, aren't we? Yes, we are. Uh, if the if the stories, you know, if it touches us, if it hits us in the feels, we're going to read it as we've got one coming up right now. If it's awesome, Marcus. Coming on. You're coming on. And you're going to be a team never quit Guest on this podcast, which, by the way, holy sweet baby Jesus, what are we at right now? We at four million?
6: Are we just over four million? Just over over four million.
4: (laughs) Marcus, just over four million downloads, brother. Is that crazy? Not even a year and a half (laughs) old. Four million downloads, and it's all because of these wonderful people that tune in. We can't thank mm. you enough, uh, and and so what we're gonna do is we're gonna read a uh, write-in story uh, from Ryan. All right.
6: This is pretty heavy.
4: This is a heavy one. Yeah, buckle in. This is uh, pretty heavy. All right. This way starts off, Marcus. My brothers! Exclamation point! Exclamation! I love when people do that. <laughs> huh. I can honestly say your podcast is one of only a couple that I look forward to listening to every time it comes out. The stories you share are incredibly powerful. There needs to be more groups like team. Never quit exclamation, exclamation. Exclamation! I wanted to share a bit of my story. It's interesting because I've worked in emergency services for nearly two decades. During that time, I have many stories, but none of those stories are my story. My story is a story of struggle because of fear and repercussions, fear of being judged, fear because it wasn't a horrific scene or a massive firefight. In my mind, my story shouldn't have been a story. The following letter is a letter I wrote to someone I didn't know personally, but her words moved me. Her letter changed my life. Dr. Rosenberg, you don't know me at all. And you and I probably will never meet. But you made a profound effect on me. I recently read an essay you wrote called How to Tell a Mother Her Child is Dead. Your words left me filled with emotions. So many different emotions. It took me back to a day that changed my life six years ago. Bear with me while I provide my story. Sixteen years ago, I started volunteering as a firefighter in a small town. I became passionate about helping people. I became addicted to the rush I had every time I got a call. I absolutely loved it. I felt like I truly was a part of a brotherhood. It was here that I had my first direct experience with death. A pickup truck had rolled into a ditch because of the recent rain. The ditch had about a foot of water sitting in it. As I went to the truck, I bent down and saw a hand in the water. I quickly placed my fingers on the wrist attached to the hand. There was no pulse. As I watched the truck get turned right side up, I saw the young man whose wrist only moments before I had held in my hand. His body laid half in the cab and half out of the broken back window. His head was wet from the water that was in the ditch. As the truck's wheels hit the ground, his head bounced from side to side, like a jack-in-the-box. As the sergeant of the local police service went through all the documents and identified the young man, I realized he was one of my wife's students. This was also my first time providing a death notification. I moved into a brief career as an EMT before becoming sworn police officer in 2008. Through the years of all three branches of emergency services, I saw countless other bodies. They all had names and names I've long since forgotten. I've seen burned bodies, dead children, beaten wives. Each one of them I've put some of myself into. Each one was the most important thing to me in that exact moment. Because they all deserve that respect regardless of who they were. Despite this, I had been dubbed the Grim Reaper by some of my co-workers. But on that spring day six years ago, I lost part of me that will never be reclaimed. The call came in as a check on welfare at a, at a local motel. I arrived on scene with the acting sergeant for the day. We made our way up to the third floor. As I opened the door, I saw a man sprawled on the ground, telephone cord wrapped around his torso and neck. I bet down, and those same fingers that five years earlier had felt the wrist of the young man now pried their way under his jaw. The rigor had already set in, keeping me from moving his head to get better access. I was shocked by how cold he was. Another officer who was now on the scene. Turned the man's laptop towards me. The computer's internet browser was open to a page Dealing with schizophrenia. Around this town. I found an empty pill bottle. It was busy that day. And I realized his house was not far away. So I requested permission to go to the house. To provide the notification. On the way. I discovered police attended the previous day over a possible domestic dispute. No violence had occurred, but police took the man to the motel. I processed this information as I walked up to the townhouse. A smiling woman opened the door for me. She was so pleasant, calling me sir. She asked if I wanted a drink. I told her no and asked her to sit down. When she sat down, I also sat down and said I had some terrible news. I explained to her how I had just come from the motel where I found her husband dead. I was direct, but respectful. When she asked if I was sure, I told her that I was the one who first was on the scene. Before I knew what was going on, she was on the phone talking in another language. By this time, a young girl appeared from upstairs. She smiled at me and started talking with me. Clearly excited to have a real-life police officer in her house, she didn't notice her mom crying. I spent time playing with her while her mother was on the phone, maybe because she was about the same age as my youngest daughter. I was comfortable keeping her occupied while her mom dealt with the shock of the news I provided. I confirmed that this woman, now a widow wanted to have victim services come by. They were pros. They were pros at dealing with the emotional side of such a loss. Just before they arrived, the family's other daughter arrived. I looked at her and saw anger in her eyes. She walked up to me and stood only inches from my face and yelled, where's my daddy? I froze. I focused on the anger in her eyes. The words rang in my ears. After this day, I started drinking every night I got off work. I began looking for ways to cope with the anger I had towards this man for having done this to his family. His daughters had no father. His wife had no husband. And I was angry at him for putting me in the situation where I gave the family news that would crush their reality. I repressed my feelings of loss, anger, confusion, and sadness. I hid it from everyone. Over that four years, I woke up in a cold sweat, hearing those words. Where's my daddy? I saw this girl as I went about my daily activities. I would never come closer than six blocks from that townhouse. I let the monsters inside me take over and spit on my emotional compass. And then I broke. Something inside me broke. I took months off. I met with therapists three times a week. I started on antidepressants. It was a horrible time. But then I felt normal. It took a long time, but I finally felt normal. I still have triggers, but I deal with them with my newfound skills. And I'm a better man because of it. I wanted to thank you. Your essay will, pro- will help people. It will help people prepare for experiences that will affect countless people. It will provide hope for those who have hurt. It will help pull someone out of the dark. And for that, thank you. Your, wo- your words have moved me. There's more to my story than what I told Dr. Rosenberg. I didn't tell her how not only did I cope with my battle through alcohol, anger, promiscuity, and closing myself off from everyone close to me, but how I almost took my own life. The expression, monsters are real and ghosts are real too. They live inside us and sometimes they win. has a deep meaning for me. In the letter, I talk about fighting myself, the enemy. One night, I almost surrendered to that fight. Before I ever sought help for this, before I ever told anyone how much this affected me, Before I ever accepted that it was okay to feel this way, I did something that I hope no other person has ever had to do. I was working an afternoon shift alone. For days, I had been scraping rock bottom. I had abandoned many of my coping strategies, some by choice, some not so much. And now, it was just a raw, bare-knuckle fight between myself and the monster inside me. I found a remote place to park that day. As I sat there, letting the darkness cover me, I took off my vest and laid it on the seat beside me. I put my forage cap on top of it. I pulled out my badge and placed it in the corner of the front window. I can't explain why I did these things. To this day, I can't even remember ever going through this in my head or preparing or thinking about it. it just automatic, I just automatically did it. Then I removed my Glock 22 from my holster. I dropped a mag out of it and checked that there was one round left in it. Then I placed all my mags under my vest. I sat there for what seemed like hours. Johnny Cash's rendition of Hurt was playing for my phone. I sat there looking out at the nothing. Then I felt the cold metal touch my head as I aimed my pistol at the back of my skull. The cold spread into my temple and ran through my face. I would have shuddered any other time, but I just felt the release on this day. I started to pull the trigger, waiting for my gun to surprise me like my instructors had taught me. I felt the trigger moving backwards, and suddenly I saw daughters. I saw the tears of my youngest cries when I go to work. I saw my oldest bottling everything up inside her. I saw my wife next to me in my lowest of lows. She stood by me through everything. I let the trigger return to its place of rest. And then I knew I needed help. My story is not over, but I know others who have not been so lucky. A member of who I work with before I patched over to where I am now ended her pain The only way she knew how years before that, a man who I called Sergeant at times found his way out. And this is why I tell my story because I like to believe that maybe someday my story will stop someone from ending their own. Maybe that's just wishful thinking. Keep up the good fight, Ryan. Well, I'll tell you, Ryan, I've been that I've been in that spot myself. And I want to just tell you how proud I am of you and tell you how much God loves you for making the choice you did for making the choice to stick around, to fight through, to never quit. So you could be there for the people who truly love you most, because that's why we're here. That's why we're all doing what we're doing in this world is to make those connections to burden, to release the burden within our own selves. And place that burden of love. On each other. To share with each other. To grow in that love. And to make sure that other people. Can fight through that moment. So thank you sir. For having the courage. The dedication. And the honor to write in your story. Mm. I want to thank God. I want to thank Christ. I want to thank my girls. I want to thank my mother and father. I want to thank my family, my friends. I want to thank all my teammates, all the guys out there like Evan, like all these people that are really making a positive impact in the world around them by being creative, by pushing through, by doing new things, by making just a difference, man, because that's inspiring to me. So I want to thank all of you for doing that. I want to thank Ryan for your courage to write in and for the courage to keep living And I want to thank you, too, for allowing me the opportunity to live out my dream to continue serving others with positivity.
5: Ryan, I mean, good job. We found Team Never Quit, right? We get down in that hole, we work our way back up. Now the motivation you have, changing lives. That's all. We just needed to hear that story. That's it, right? That's kind of your starting block. Pushed out from it. Now we caught up with you. So thanks for doing that. Evan, brother, as always, it's it's an education, man. I got to tell you, that's... uh, (sighs) Keep charging forward, man. It was an honor to have you on here. And everybody keep bringing us back. Like I said, I we was talking about 4 million downloads. That's that's unbelievable. It shocks us every time we come Amazing. in here and get to sit down, doesn't it? So thanks for that. Wizard, everybody, man, uh, God bless. I'm out.
4: Out.